The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a speaking, communicating God. <clears throat> we know you because uh, you want us to know you. You reveal yourself to us. And we thank you for this. Lord, you also show us uh, what you want for our lives, what it means to, to be your people. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to care. Write this on our hearts. Uh, show us what your word has for us. Um, help me, Lord, now as I teach this. Please help me to teach it faithfully, clearly. And Lord, help all of us who listen that um, you'd show us and you'd impact us, you'd change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new with us, we've been going through uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians for some time now, and uh, we're plugging along. That's the way I like to roll most of the time because it keeps me from just giving you my hobby horses or what I feel like. It, uh, it, it leads us to teach the whole Bible. So you hear it in context, and then you hear those passages where you read them, and you're like, I don't know what that means, or, or we read it, and we're like, I'm scared to death of that passage. Um, forces us to get in it because it's, it's a way to practice our convictions. We believe the whole Bible is the inspired Word of God, and so every part of it um, is important for us as His people. And so today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I love how this happens so often. I scheduled preaching through 1 Corinthians a long time ago, and here it is, July 4th weekend, and the passage is about freedom. So there you have it, freedom. So we celebrated our country's freedom yesterday, right? We lit off some bombs because that's how we do it in America. Um, Set something on fire because we're free, right? It's beautiful. Um, but America was founded at least in part in what? A desire for freedom, religious freedom, political freedom. And for the 200 plus years of our country's history, we've enjoyed unprecedented freedom and the prosperity that comes from it. I mean, aren't you thankful to live in this country where we're free? We are free. Uh, but it raises a question, doesn't it? What is freedom? And the more you think about it, at least for me, the more complicated the answer gets. So, so maybe if, if, you were, if you were writing it down, what is freedom? Maybe you'd say, well, it's, I can do what I want with no restraint. I'm free to do what I want. But if you, if you think about that, if we're all free to do what we want with no restraint, what's going to happen? It's going to be chaos, and it's going to be tyranny. And in the end, the strongest will assert their freedom to do what they want and decimate the freedom of others, right? If it's all about what I want, and you're in my way, well, I've got to be free, which means you will no longer be free. So we can't just say that freedom is doing whatever we want with no restrictions. Think of political freedom. The reason we've had so much political freedom in this country is because there's restrictions on the freedom of the government in order to protect the freedom of the people. So here, here's the First Amendment of a Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So in other words, Congress can't infringe on your religious freedom or your freedom of speech. So their freedom is restricted to protect yours. You like it? I do. Societal freedom. 
There's restrictions on people in order to protect people. I'm free to do whatever I want, except murder. (laughs) So you can't do whatever you want, because if you did whatever you wanted, you would greatly restrict other people's freedom. You can't steal, right? That, That... One of those Ten Commandments, it's amazing for society. You can't live without it. Thou shalt not steal. What does that imply? That implies private property. There are things that belong to you and not others, and other people can't take it and can't control it because you're free to do what you want with your stuff in general. And, and I can't just say, well, I want your stuff. I'm free to do what I want. No, I, my, restritum is, my freedom is restricted, right, to protect yours. So you're seeing already that in order to have a healthy freedom... You need restriction. You see it? You need restriction. Think of our young children, right? How not free are my children? Do, you, do I have to eat my vegetables? Yes. But I'm free, Dad. I live in America. And you live in my house, and you're going to eat your vegetables, right? You're going to go to bed at a certain time. No, you can't hit your sisters. You're not free to hit your sisters, But, Dad, we're progressives. We live in America. I've got to follow my desires. No, you can't follow your desires. You'll be punished if you follow those desires. Or how about this? They can't join the army. My son's 10. He'd love to be, you know, in the army. You can't join the army. You're too young. You can't drive either. I want to drive. No. You can't stay out by yourself until 2 in the morning. That kid's not free at all, is he? It's like he's in jail. Why do I restrict his freedom so much? Because I can't stand him? Is it because I hate him? It's because I love him, right? And those restrictions, they actually enable his freedom, his freedom to thrive the way he's designed. It's good for him. The right kind of restrictions enables true freedom. Now, the question on what restrictions are right enough That's a hard conversation, depending on what category you're talking about. What are the right restrictions for a country like ours? That's a a long conversation. But here at church, as as we're meeting and we're thinking of freedom, we're thinking of political freedom, we'd have things to say about that. We could think of societal freedom, we have things to say about that. But what about freedom of the heart? That's what I want to think about for a moment. Freedom of the heart. Freedom means that, in part, with the right restrictions, I can do what I want. Okay? Free to do what you want. Right. Here's the big question. What if what you want is wrong? Are you free? You might be free politically, but are you free? You might be free socially. Maybe it's legal, but are you free? But what if you're a slave to what makes you happy? So... How about this? Think of an addiction. You know somebody who's an alcoholic or maybe you struggle with that yourself, okay? Are they free in this country to drink? Sure they are. Are they free to buy another drink? Of course. And I wouldn't want to make that illegal. But are they free to drink and drink and drink? Are they really free? Can they stop? Is it good for them? Is it causing them to thrive? Are they hurting other people? So they might be free politically, free socially, but are they free when it comes to their hearts or are they slaves? They're slaves. Or same thing with gambling. You know, you're free to take another drink, pull another slot, but you're a slave to what you want. So if freedom includes finding the right restrictions, what does that mean for our hearts? 
How do we find the right restrictions for what we want so we know what's right to want? And we're enabled to want what's right. Do you see? That would be, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be the deepest kind of freedom? To be free to love what we should. To love what we're made to love. With the right kind of restrictions, knowing, you know, if I go too far that way or too far that way, I'd be a slave. Now I'm free to be who I'm made to be. That would be ultimate freedom. That would be the deepest freedom. And that is exactly the kind of freedom Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians. I want to start at the back end of this text because there's really there's two parts to my message. I think there's two major parts to this text that we looked at today. One is the principle of freedom, so the main idea, the, the principle that we want to follow. The other is the applications of that. So you heard as the text was read, right? You got, well, if you're single, you can get single, and if you're married, you should stay married, but if you're married to this kind of person, then this, and you're like, what? Those are applications of the principle, so let's start with the principle and then see how he applies it, all right? The first principle has to do with true freedom. And I think we can really relate to the Corinthians on this. The, the Corinthians, if you know, uh, are familiar with this letter, they were a train wreck, right? Hot mess. You've got people fighting each other. You've got one guy sleeping with his stepmom. You've got people coming early and getting drunk on communion stuff and not leaving anything for others. You have lawsuits in the church. Wouldn't that be a great church? I love you in the name of Jesus and I'll see you in court. Um, so they really are immature and they don't, they don't know what to do with this new identity they have as Christians. They, they believe in Jesus Christ and they're different, but they still, have, they still believe what their culture and what their city is saying. So that the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, has not been fully applied in them. And part of their struggle is, I just became a Christian. What do I do now in Corinth? What does that mean for my marriage? What does it mean for my singleness? Or what does it mean now? I, I just became a Christian, but my spouse still worships the idols. What does that mean for me? How do we do this? And so they're wondering how their new faith changes their life situations. And some of them are thinking, this is the important part, some of them are thinking, I would be more free if my circumstance changed. And this is where we connect. They're thinking, I'd be more free if my circumstance changed. Some of them are thinking, I'm single, and if only I was married, I'd be free. Some of them are thinking, I'm married, and if only I was single, I'd be free. That, that's what they're thinking. Some of them are slaves, and they're thinking, if only I wasn't a slave, I'd be free. Some of them are free, and Paul is saying, actually, you're slaves. Here's the rub for you. Don't you think if only certain circumstances would change, then I'd be free to live the life I'm supposed to live? Have you ever thought that before? If I could just get the, the raise then I'd be free. If I could just change the job, then I'd be free. If I could just find that boyfriend, that girlfriend, then I would be who I long to be. If only I was in a different marriage, I'd be free. I married the wrong person. It has ruined my life. Now I'm in chains, the old ball and chain. If only I was out of this, I'd be free. My, and, and so what we're saying when we feel that way, I think we've all felt that way. I know I have. 
only my church doubled in size, okay, right? We can all do it. Then I'd be free to be who I was supposed to be. When we do that, we're all saying our circumstances define our freedom. And we need to question that. Do your circumstances define your ultimate freedom? And that's what Paul is going to answer here. Let's start at the back end of the passage. Look at verse 17. Here's where he starts talking about the main principle of this passage. He says in verse 17, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has, what's that next word? Assigned to him. And to which God has, what? Called him. First thing to see, the life you have, did you get there by accident? Did you get there because, man, you just messed up a whole bunch of times? And here you are. Well, that's part of it, maybe. Did you get there because you made a lot of great decisions? That's part of it, but it's not the ultimate thing about where you are. Why are you who you are, where you are, according to this sentence? God assigned it to you. Doesn't that feel different? Can you imagine yourself with the Father in heaven, his arm around you, saying, It's going to be rough. But this is what I want you to do for me. This is where I want you to be for me. Such a different perspective to be like, I'm here by accident, I'm wasting my life, I've lost it all, I've ruined it all. If only I had that, I'd be free. It's so different to think, God, the God of the universe, the God of creation who loves me, he put me right here. He's assigned it to us. He's called it to us. And then Paul says, this is my rule in all the churches, which means this is always how we roll. This is true for every Christian. It's true in every place. God is sovereign. So Paul mentions calling. And if we we're going we to look at how the New Testament, how Paul talks about calling, we would see two things. Number one, there's a salvific calling. In other words, we were lost in sin and rebellion. We were outside of God's family. And we heard at some point the gospel. You heard about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And you heard the invitation to believe. And when you, when you heard that, I'm not talking about all the times you heard it and you didn't care and you were bored and you're like, no thanks. I'm talking about the time you went, I need that. that the time you went, I need you, Jesus. When you trusted in Jesus, what happened to you right before that was God called you. And he said, it's time. Trust, believe. He called you to be his child. You could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 31 to see more about this calling. Paul says to them, remember, you weren't called because you were so awesome. It's like a backhanded compliment. He kind of tells all the Corinthians, God didn't call you because you're all the big winners of society. Okay? So it, in a way, it, did the apostle just tell us we're losers? Found of life, God did not call you because you're so awesome. He didn't call me because I'm so awesome. You're like, amen. Um, But that's actually wonderful for us because, you see, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be something amazing. This is why the gospel is so unique among any other religious claim. Every other religion says you have to do something to be someone. You have to earn it. And so that will either lead to self-righteousness. You think, oh, I'm so prideful. I have done it. And all you other losers out there, you haven't. That's evils of religion come in right there. I'm prideful about who I am. Or you'll be like, I'm so insecure, 
and beaten down because I can't keep any of this. God must hate me. And so the gospel sets all that on fire, 4th of July, blows it up. And Jesus says to us, each one, you could never do enough to be right with a holy God. His standards are too great. Every single one of us, we've missed it big time. But Jesus says to us, I did it for you. I lived a life you couldn't live, and I will give that standing to you. I'll give that perfection to you. And you can have it simply through faith. Trusting in me, it's yours freely. And you want to be like, that's too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. It's too good to be true. Jesus says, if you'll trust in me, my cross, that was for you. I paid for every one of your sins. Every one. So the Father will look at you like you've never sinned, like you're totally clean, washed white, loved, brought in. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And the, so the calling is not based on what you've deserved. It's based on his grace and his love. So he calls us in, that salvific calling, wake up, and you believe, and you say, oh, Jesus, I need you. And you were... You were united with Christ. You were forgiven. You were made right. Salvific calling. Beautiful. By grace. But there's also a vocational calling. Vocational calling is the life you live now. It includes your relationships, your responsibilities, your job. It includes your circumstances. And what do you think? If that calling from God is by grace through faith, that salvific calling... Is your vocational calling any different? So you think of that Corinthian idol worshiper slave. And he didn't get called by Jesus because he had a lot of money or because he did everything right. He got called by God's grace. And now he wakes up the next day and guess what he still is functionally in everyday life? He's still a slave. But does he have to say, I have to get free, I have to get a job, I have to establish myself in order for God to still use me? Do you see the question? If you were called in any circumstance to be saved and belong to God, doesn't that mean that you can now live in any circumstance for God and his glory? Your your salvific and your vocational calling are both by grace. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 17. Now that you're a Christian, I know, Corinthians, you're new Christians, and you think, what needs to change? What stays the same? And Paul says, live the life the Lord has assigned to you. Be a Christian where you are, right now. And he really pounds this in. Look what he says in verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. That is a strange line. This is one reason we preach through the Bible, because I would never pick to talk about circumcision because you're like, really? We're foreskins? This is, this is God's word. How would you remove the marks of circumcision? I don't know. I don't think he's being literal. What does circumcision represent? It represents that old covenant identity as being part of Israel, God's people. It represents the huge dividing line between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul says, if, if you were a Jew and you grew up in the Mosaic Law and you've trusted in Christ, great. Be a Jew for Jesus. And he's saying, if you're a Gentile and you grew up outside of that law and you've come to, and you've come to Christ... 
You don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to be a Jew to follow Jesus. Be a Gentile for Jesus. Jesus saved who you are, all of who you are. You don't have to change everything. Be who you are now for him. Verse 19, here's what counts. For neither circumcision counts for anything. Boy, that'd be so radical for his day to say that. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But what counts? Will you read the last part of that sentence with me? It starts with the word but. So for, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what? Keeping the commandments of God. What counts? Obey, obedience counts. Oh, God, did you really have to tell us that? What do we think counts? We think our circumstances count. This is what it's all about. If these circumstances could change, I would be free. And the Lord has just told us that's not really what counts. Press in on in your, the freedom of your heart. Are you free to love what you should love, want what you should want, and do what you should do right here, right now, where you are, living for Jesus where you are right now, that would be freedom. We just embrace that. Some of you right now are you like, I need a new circumstance. And we're going to see later in the text, changing some circumstances, that's good. You can do that. It's okay. But don't identify with your circumstance. Don't let yourself think your circumstance makes you who you are. It does not. And God does this in our lives. The Lord loves us so much, he messes with us horribly. Doesn't he? How many of you Christians should be like, amen? He, he messes with us to make us holy. He stresses us and presses us so that we'll rely on him. And his call for all of us, no matter what circumstance we're in right now, is a call to love me, trust me, obey me here. Now. Trust me for your circumstances. You let me handle your circumstances. You work on obedience. Isn't that powerful? That's true freedom. It's not ethnicity. It's not even slavery. Look at verse 21. Were you a bondservant when you were called? So there's that salvific calling, right? Were you a slave when you became a Christian? What does he say after that? Verse 21. Don't be concerned about it. Now, as modern Americans, we're like, what? He's pro-slavery. Don't be concerned about it. You know, C.S. Lewis had this phrase called chronological snobbery. We stand on the shoulders of Christianity changing the world. We stand on the shoulders of huge historical sweeps, and we expect the slave who lives 2,000 years ago to stand on these shoulders 2,000 years later. You know what I mean? You need to revolt. You need to write the Constitution. If he runs away as a slave, he's going to get killed. Plus, slavery back then is a whole different ballgame than what we're thinking of as early American slavery. In, in a Corinthian church, you could have someone who's, a, who's technically a slave in this church who has more money, more freedom, and responsibility than a freed man who's also in the church. In fact, many people signed up to be slaves. It's like indentured servanthood. Okay? But it's really complicated because as a slave, you would have almost common law marriages or connections sometimes. So you'd be with this person and things would change. You'd be with... So what do we do here as slaves? But Paul says, 
You don't have to be free to enjoy true freedom. You can be free as a slave where you are if you're living for Jesus. Don't be concerned about it. But then what does he say at the end part of 21? If you can gain your freedom, do it. Would it be better to be free? Yeah. Get your freedom if you can, but don't think you can't live for Jesus until you get your freedom. Don't think you can't be free until you're free. Do you hear what he's saying? And then look what he says in 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a what? Freed man of the Lord. So how is the slave free? We've got to think of the different levels of freedom. He's free now in the most ultimate sense. We were lost in sin, right? We hated God, inclined against God. We don't like God. We don't want what he says. We were slaves. And now this person, this slave, has been set free because he sees the beauty of Jesus. He wants Jesus, and he wants to follow Jesus. He's set free. This is what he was made for, to follow Jesus, even as a slave. He is a free slave. Likewise, he who was freed when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. So you're not a slave politically, socially, but if you're a Christian, who's your master? Jesus. Remember, the, remember real fr- freedom is, is doing the commandments of God. That word commandments is not important because we didn't get, we want Jesus to be Dr. Phil sometimes, right? And give us like 12 steps. Paul didn't say, true freedom is following the suggestions of Jesus. Does Jesus say to his people, you might want to consider, perhaps if you feel like it, treating your husband like this. But if you don't want to, don't worry about it. You might want to consider if it's convenient having integrity at work, but if it's hard, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you. Is that what Jesus says to us? What do you tell us to take up? Take up, your, take up your cross. You know what crosses do? They kill. They kill our, our, our autonomy. They kill our self-rule. And you weren't made for that anyway. True freedom is to follow Jesus. So true freedom is slavery, right? Do you hear the paradox going on? True freedom is slavery to Christ because he's such a good, wonderful master and king. Which means you can be free even when you're a slave. And you can be a slave even when you're free. Verse 23. You were bought with a price. Who bought you? Jesus bought you. What was the price? His life, his blood. Expensive. Do you belong to yourself? You're bought with a price. And that's why Jesus was so happy to buy you who you are, where you are. He bought you right where you are. And that's why, verse 24, here's the summary. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, what do you need to do? Remain there. With... God, that's so amazing. The slave who has to serve whatever master in the city of Corinth is hearing the apostle say, when you're working for him, God is with you. 
the single person who maybe would like to get married, but they're single. God is with you. The married person who wishes things were different, maybe they feel like they want out. God is with you. God is hanging in there with you. You hang in there in your situation. God has assigned it to you. He's there with you. True freedom, right, my friends? True freedom is not changing your circumstance. True freedom is knowing Jesus and living for Jesus in your circumstance. That's the principle. So you've got to ask yourself, are you free? Are you free? I've met people in India who are less free and more free than I. I have religious freedom. I have financial freedom. They don't have either of those. They're so joyfully sold out for Jesus in a way I'm jealous of. They're more free. Are you free? Do you trust Jesus? Are you finding you're slave to certain kind of desires? Are you willing to turn to the one who came, died, and rose to set you free? Is your heart free to love him? Are you willing to submit to his restrictions that bring you true freedom? Freedom is belonging to Jesus and living for him in every, any situation. Let's see now a little bit of how Paul applies this. Back up to verse 6. Here he's talking about, it's, it's been a long conversation in Corinthians. He's been talking about sexuality, he's been talking about marriage, he's talking about singleness. Here's what he says in verse 6. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish everybody was like, I wish all were as I am. But each has his own gift, one of one kind and another. So what do you think Paul means when he says, I wish you were all like me? Single. I wish you were all single. Um, it's a gift. But is he demanding it? If you're going to be Christian, you've got to be single. No, there was a cult like that where uh, her, her, the leader was named a mother somebody. And what was funny is that she wasn't actually a mother of anybody. And in their cult, they denied any sexual relations of any kind. And as you can imagine, it didn't last very long. <laughs> you know, you, you might want to do some future planning. Um, so which one is it? Do you have to be married or single to be a full-on Christian living for Jesus? What are you talking about? False dichotomy, right? I wish you were single. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at Paul's view of singleness. He has a high, high view of singleness because he says, I am free to be poured out for Jesus anytime, any place, any reason. I don't have to worry about how the wife and kids are doing at home. And for him and his life, that works better, right? He's free to serve Jesus in a different way. Now, is that more holy or better than having a spouse or having kids? No. We each have our own gift. Your situation's part of your gift. That's what God has for you. So I wish you were all single because, man, you could, we could pour out for Jesus. But hey, um, we each have our own gift. If that's not your gift, great. But do you have to be married to really live for Jesus? No. Do it, do it as a single person. Free to follow Jesus, obey his commands. All right, what if you're... Verse 8, next one. True freedom might be getting married. True freedom might be staying single. True freedom might be getting married. Look at verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. By the way, just that third word, unmarried, probably means widower. 
So these are people who have been married, are no longer married. He says it's good, for, it's good for you to remain single. And in his mind, that means you can pour yourself out more for the kingdom of God. But, verse 9, if you cannot exercise self-control, so these people probably, perhaps, have other relationships in their lives and they are tempted to do what people who want to get married are tempted to do. Well, what should you do if, you, if you're burning with passion? What should you do? Get married. Great. Are, are you second class? Oh, what's the key in, when you're being single? Keep the commands. Follow Jesus. What's the key when you're married? Keep the commands. Follow Jesus. You don't have to change to be free. True freedom is living for Jesus where you are. How about verse 10? What if you are married? To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. And just by the way, when Paul says that, I'll I give, give you two ideas. One is, when Paul says, not I but the Lord, is Paul saying what I say is suggestions and what the Lord says is commands? They, they can't be, right? Paul's an apostle. He has authority to proclaim Jesus. What he's saying is, when I get, Paul is really applying things to, to the Corinthians, right? These are Gentiles in first century Corinth. Who is Jesus talking to usually? Jews, okay? Different scenarios. So here's Paul saying, I'm quoting something you know Jesus said. The other times when I'm saying it, Paul is saying, I'm applying Jesus to your situation. But in both, in both cases, it's the authority of the Lord. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not, what? Separate her from her husband. This is not Paul's declarative, definitive, everything about divorce in one section. Okay, so let's, let's not pretend that it is. I'm not going to go into all. There are biblical grounds for divorce. There are. But in general, because Corinth was so much like America and that you could get divorced anytime, any place for any reason. That's the trend now. Okay? What should you do if you're married? Stay married. Stay married. The wife shouldn't... I'm a Christian now, and my, my husband... This isn't working. Should I get divorced now that I'm a Christian? No, stay married. Stay married. You're in covenant. Even when it's rough, keep the covenant. It obeys Jesus. But my marriage is hard. It's difficult. It's holding me back. No, God has assigned to you the life that you have. And he wants you to keep his command. That means... You glorify his covenant with you and your covenant with your spouse. Stay married. The single people are saying, oh, if only I was married, I'd be free. Paul says, no, follow Jesus when you're single. And the married people are saying, oh, if only I was single, I'd be free. Paul's saying, no. Follow Jesus as being married. Okay, what about the heart question? What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Now, this could gain traction with them because they're, Paul's been telling them, look, you need to come out from the culture around you and be holy to the Lord, right? He's really been emphasizing that. You need to think differently. You're differently. You're God's temple. And so you can imagine, right, a new Christian. Say, say you're, uh, you're this, this lady and you've received Jesus Christ and you're married to a guy who loves to worship the pagan gods at the festivals. And you really want to follow Jesus. And you're married to someone who really wants to follow all these other gods. What do I do? It would be difficult, wouldn't it? And now you've been told, well, you have this new identity, you have this new Lord, you live for him. You could totally see how somebody would say, well, I'm going to end this marriage and I'm going to start fresh. I could totally see why they would, why they would say that. 
So what is Paul going to say to the people in this situation? Look at verse 12. To the rest I say, I not the Lord. Again, he's not saying, oh, it's just a suggestion, do what you please. No, he's saying, God, Jesus didn't speak to this explicitly, I'm going to. To the rest I say, if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, what? Don't divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, what? She should not divorce him. Four, look at verse 14. The unbelieving husband is made holy. Wow. What does that mean? Holy means set apart to God, right? Now, is this salvific? So, for instance, if you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, and you're married to someone who's not a Christian, God will just sneak them in like they believe in Jesus, even if they don't, because they're married to you. Is that what Paul is saying? Unfortunately, no, right? Because later he actually says, how do you not know? Maybe you'll save your husband. Maybe you'll save your wife. So it's not a salvific holiness, okay? Well, then what is it? Well, the, the word holy set apart can be used in many different ways, but this is what I think Paul is getting at. Who invented this strange thing called marriage in the first place? God invented it. It was established in creation. Covenant, permanent relationship between a man and a woman. It is, as an institution, holy, set apart, beautiful, and good. And and we don't take the Roman Catholic view where it's a specific sacrament for Christians. Right? Christians get baptized into Christ. Everybody else doesn't, generally speaking. Why would they want to? But who's marriage for? Is marriage just for Christians or is it for humanity? I hope you say it's for humanity. Culture needs marriage desperately. It's for humanity. Marriage in itself is a holy institution. And so, this is amazing what he's saying to this Christian person married to the unbelieving spouse. Marriage in itself is so holy and so beautiful as an institution that even though you have converted and he or she hasn't, that marriage is still legitimate and beautiful and holy. And if that other person's willing to hang in there, you hang in there. It is itself holy. You have a holy influence on this person. They are connected to the gospel. They are connected to the church in a way they wouldn't be without you. How do you know whether you wouldn't save them? How do you know? Obviously, if we were thinking with like pastoral wisdom, you wouldn't advise interfaith marriages. I would advise against Interfaith marriages. If you are a Christian and you're getting married to someone, you need to marry a Christian because Jesus is Lord for you, right? And if you are following one Lord and they are following another Lord, it will be difficult to have unity and fellowship in following the same Lord. But that's a different conversation. What about if you find yourself married to an unbeliever? Let's ask the question of this passage. Are you 
less than free? Does your circumstance define your freedom? What is Paul saying to us? In God's sovereignty, where you are now is the life he has assigned to you. True freedom is knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, living for Jesus where you are. Again, I think you should imagine Jesus' arm around your shoulder before he sends you out saying, I got something for you. I got an assignment for you. It's going to be hard. But just like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And I want you to go and live for me in that place. Will you do it for me? If I think of it that way, my heart says, yeah, I'll do it for you. I want to do it for you. If I think of it as, oh, I'm stuck here, chaotic accident, I've messed it all up, I'm not being who I should fully be, right? That's what the American dream will tell you. you have, you're a loser. You're stuck. Don't listen to that. Your circumstances don't define your freedom. Listen to what your Father in Heaven is saying. I have put you where you are. I have made you free in Christ. You live there for me. And of course, as Paul is debating with them, he's applying the issue of, of uh, their children. He's saying, well, why would you kick out, why would you break your relationship with your unbelieving spouse? You're not, you're not breaking your relationship with the children. You have them in the community. They're holy. Well, same thing with your spouse. Keep it up. Keep it going. So what do we see? Single, married, Jew, Greek, slave, free. None of those things stopped you from being called by God to belong to him. And none of those things can stop you from living for the God who's called you. In Christ, we're free to love him, to follow him. Listen, only you can glorify God as you where you are. You have a unique ministry and calling to be the presence of Jesus as you, where you are. And nobody else in this room can do it. And God is with you and for you to enable you. So true freedom is any situation, in, in any situation, is an identity in Christ that leads to love for Christ, that leads to obeying Christ. Let's be who we are in Christ and live for him. That's true freedom. And I'm, I'm going to pray in a moment. We're going to celebrate our freedom as we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus buying us so that we would belong to him and live for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, it's a hard message. I guess it's an encouraging message. Some of us, we don't like where we are, where we've been. We thank you that we have the freedom to change our circumstances many times. Lord, you change things in our lives. But God, help us just to hunker down and realize you have us where we are. And you have a plan for us where we are. And you have a future for us where we are. Help us to realize true, true freedom is being who we are in you and living for you where we are. We confess it's hard, it's frustrating, but Lord, give us the grace to trust you, to follow you in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.